For those of you who are listening to the audio version of this episode, I wanted to let you know there's an exclusive clip on our YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash climatecorp. We challenged weatherman John to a game of Name That Cloud. Find out how well John knows his stuff, and challenge yourself to see if you can identify the clouds that roll over your fields. This is Around the Farm, the podcast about all things ag, and I'm your host, Rick Myra. On today's show, it's a crowd favorite. We're going to be talking about weather for the fall. And we've got our resident expert, John Majdaszewski, who's with Bayer, or better known as Weatherman John, to talk to us about what to expect for weather this fall. John, it's great to have you back with us. Our listeners have had such great feedback about the, the multiple times you've been with us so far here on Around the Farm for our planning cycle, for our uh, planting cycle and getting ready and helping them to understand some of the concerns around weather. Really excited to have you back with us today. But for those of our listeners who might be new, haven't seen some of your previous uh, previous visits before, can you go ahead and give them your background just one more time? Yeah, um, it's great to be back, Rick. Uh, I'm, I'm a data scientist here at um, Bayer uh, for a couple of years. Prior to that, I was a, um, a climate scientist doing research um, as a postdoc at Wisconsin and, and previously uh, doing a PhD at Rutgers, um, just focusing on um, the, uh, the Arctic and uh, the climate change, the accelerated changes that we're seeing there. So a lot of uh, atmosphere, uh, snow and ice interactions. Um, but these days I'm looking at um, much more of the Corn Belt and I'm learning about uh, agriculture and the effects of uh, weather and even climate change on uh, what we're seeing um, in the Midwest. And uh, so what I do at there is I uh, really try to leverage my expertise in, uh, in meteorology and uh, in climate science to try and um, isolate the effects of the environment on you know, what we're seeing in the, in the hybrids that we're testing in, in corn and soy um, in a whole bunch of different locations and in, in, uh, multiple years. Well, it's been a very interesting summer. I mean, if uh, if you think back to when we visited earlier this year, uh, is there anything that jumps out to you that was a little bit surprising that maybe the data wasn't suggesting was going to happen this summer that that ended up transpiring anyway? Well, um, there was a lot that's happened. There hasn't been one story. It's it's more about uh, where you are. Uh, I think one of the the big stories was the excessive heat that a lot of the country experienced starting in June. Um, we had some extreme and prolonged heat in um, mid to late June, starting in the central states uh, and the high plains, and uh, and that gradually moved eastward through July. Um, and into early August, um, but overall, it was it was really a very hot um, time period at a at a bad time for the crop. So, uh, in those uh, reproductive stages of of the corn, for example, um, is is when they're particularly susceptible to extreme heat and dry conditions. And so, it it hit around that time, and and that affected uh, crops in, in a lot of the country. Well, when you think about that, it's it's hard to talk about this summer and the weather that we experienced without making some reference to the derecho. Obviously, uh, an unprecedented weather event that that really affected folks in Iowa, some some of the surrounding states there. Can you talk to to our listeners a little bit about what was it that uh, that caused that event, and were there any advanced warning signs that uh, that could have signaled to folks that hey, something's coming? 
as far as you know, what is the duration in the first place? So it, it begins as a line of, of thunderstorms that have organized together. It moves, um, it begins moving and, and bowing out. Uh, so it's called a bow echo on the radar. Uh, and it's in that, that, um, that concave part of the uh, storm system that you really get the, the very high winds. So by the time I got to about central Iowa, it was uh, really at a mature state. It was doing its most damage. It was um, producing winds in a straight line that were similar to a tornado uh, or even a hurricane um, for uh, 40, 50, 60 miles uh, along the line. And that continued um, as it moved eastward through eastern Iowa and then um, the entire northern half of Illinois, although it wasn't quite as bad there. So what this shows is a... Um, a bunch of radar images that are, are taken uh, each hour of the duration as it moved eastward. So you're starting as it's just forming um, over um, South Dakota and Nebraska in the morning. And, uh, and, and simply, this is just reflectivity. So this is going to show these darker reds and even purples are, are just more intense um, rain uh, and to some degree winds. So when you see it start to uh, form in, a, in the shape of a squall line, and then it's bowing out uh, as it, uh, in the direction that it's moving, that's when you know that that's um, a particularly a severe squall line. And, and, and so this is going to operate in, in a self-sustaining way where it has a, a rear inflow jet that's, that's sucking in air from behind it and is kind of... Um, uh, expelling air off to the sides and in that way it tends to sustain itself uh, and its strength as it's moving east and and bringing with it straight line winds that um, by definition are at least I think about 70 miles an hour but in this case it was quite a lot more than that so this was really a remarkable event uh, in in both its severity and its uh, the distance that it traveled. John, when you when you think about this, you know, folks are a lot more knowledgeable and and hear more often things like tornadoes, even hurricanes for folks that are down in the in the coast. And hey, in the Midwest, a, a damaging thunderstorm isn't a shocking thing. Uh, but for me, this is really my first exposure to to the derecho. You know, what what type of uh, environmental things came together to, to prompt this particular type of severe storm? You know, this was not forecast very well. We, uh, the forecasters were not, um, you know, able to give a day or more of advance warning as they can with, with other storms like hurricanes um, and even tornadoes. They can often say, you know, the environment was very favorable or, or will be very favorable in the next day or two. Um, you have a lot of, of wind shear, is, you know, just winds at different levels of the atmosphere are moving in different directions or at different speeds. These are things that are very conducive to tornadoes, but it's not as clear cut with something like a, a derecho. Um, so in this case, uh, the, there was a there were signs that, you know, we had some storms um, forming and, and there were going to be an organized system, but uh, there was not really much um, advance warning of severe weather on this day. Uh, it was just in a, in a low risk of severe weather for all of Iowa and, and Illinois. So, you know, once it got started and started to cause some damage, they, they realized that this is something that can... Um, 
that can self-perpetuate and this is a derecho or, or is becoming one and you know downstream so further in eastern Iowa northern Illinois they definitely had um, half a day's warning that this was going to be on its way it was probably going to be um, pretty severe given what was happening in Iowa and it's the same system but um, it's really, uh, it's hard to pinpoint the exact environment uh, that, that is most conducive to these storms. It's, it's uh, just, um, you know, as I said, it feeds on this, this hot and humid air near the surface. Uh, that's one thing that you look for. Beyond that, uh, it's, it's a little bit trickier. It's, it's never easy forecasting a, a duratio very far in advance. Well, it's kind of hard to forecast anything in 2020. This has not been the normal year. Um, you know, a, a lot of the things that have transpired over the year have certainly been uh, a little bit out of the norm for us. So, you know, it's uh, it was a really a terrible, terrible weather event that happened there. Um, you know, our thoughts are with a lot of the folks that were affected by that and a lot of the crop that was, uh, was affected for a number of our users out there as well. So... You know, as we as we turn the page and start to look forward, and uh, you know, we're let's not turn the page yet, though, Rick. <laughs> I have a couple more. So this is so this is a, a map of the um, the estimated maximum wind gusts with the duration, and, and this is Iowa, central and eastern Iowa, and so it was you know it was relatively narrow swaths that that got the most damage. I mean, there was a very extensive um, area of sixty mile an hour winds which will do you know a certain amount of damage by themselves but then you get into uh just narrower uh mesoscale features of the duration itself and 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 these limited some of the upper end winds more than 100 miles an hour um uh, there were even reports of 120 to 140 miles an hour in um in the Cedar Rapids area. So that was really extreme. I mean, that's almost a uh, category four hurricane or so. Um, so really exceptional um, for a duratio. And then I'll share one more because you can actually see the damage from space. I don't know if you guys saw any of the, the, like, uh, the pictures that were just snapped from uh, the cornfields, but entire cornfields were uh, on the ground. Yeah, I was. I've, I've seen some of the imagery where uh, you know you've just got a field that's been tabletopped, right? I mean, completely taken down, um, yeah. and not just bent, right? Snapped off as as well. So, really, really a devastating impact to crop. Yeah. So this is a uh, called a visible satellite image. It's just if you were to go into space and and you know snap a picture. And this was a a few days taken a few days later, and you can even see just by the discoloration over these same um, swaths of the most intense wind in the middle of Iowa. And what this is, is there's so much corn, of course, in Iowa. This is just uh, some of these fields that were completely um, snapped and on the ground. And at this point, you know, it's, it's too late in the season for the corn to correct itself. You know, if it were earlier, you get um, some lodging, you get... Uh, the the stalks get bent over; they can kind of correct themselves. But at this point, uh, most of that is just a, a total loss. And some of these fields were um, there was nothing left to harvest of them, so they are a total loss. So they think that it could be a, a multi-billion-dollar um, disaster uh, just from mostly from the agricultural losses alone. But um, still, no real numbers yet on that. 
Yeah, it was uh, definitely an unprecedented event. That's uh, that's crazy to see the impact even from from space, right? <laughs> yeah, you yeah. see uh, you see some of the images that uh, the folks you know in the area send over to you, and you know there's there's down silos, there's down bins, all, all kinds of things happening, and along with uh, the damage to the crop, but. Yeah, you know, that's that's the first time I've seen an image like that, John. That really shows the the devastation from uh, from from up and out of the atmosphere, and really helps you to see just how how devastating those winds were for uh, for some of the swaths of the derecho there. Yeah, and I guess uh, the emphasis that I would make is that um, derechos are not that rare, especially uh, in the in the Midwest um, and the plains there. Uh, you know, but I'd say with Iowa, you see somewhere in the state probably sees one or or more uh, each year. They're they're just not typically that severe. Kind of par for the course in 2020, though, right? This is uh, this has been the year of rare things happening, things that are a little bit unprecedented. So, hopefully, as we move yeah. into harvest, we uh, we won't have 2020 rear its head again. But John, as we as we turn our eyes towards harvest, and we're we're getting into the heart of it here in most of the country. You know, what, uh, what are you expecting as you start to think about and start to look at some of the data around uh, some of the things we can expect from a weather perspective at, at harvest time and how that might affect a lot of our listeners as they get the combines out in the field? Mostly the conditions are pretty good um, going into harvest season. And then as far as the weather for September, October, um, it's looking uh, continued cooler in, in September over much of the country. Um, especially the central states, uh, which is not a bad thing. Um, precipitation is is a little bit more important with harvest. You definitely don't want to see any uh, heavy rain and washouts and, and be able to get into the fields. It doesn't look like there's there's anything too um, you know problematic uh, down the road. Uh, it's real hard to say with you know October, but as far as early freezes. Um, it's it's really too early for that as well, but it's it's a good sign that a lot of uh, farmers are planting early, especially in the upper Midwest. Um, I was noticing that um, in the spring, like in Minnesota, especially Wisconsin, were getting in the fields real early, and uh, and so they should have an early harvest and and be able to avoid any risk of an early frost. After last year, everybody was in a hurry to get crop in this year, and I, I think that's going to pay off. You know, I've I've heard from a lot of folks that I talk to out in the countryside that that they've started harvest a little bit earlier this year and and are a little bit further along. So that's always a good sign, considering especially where we were last year with such a late harvest, and in some areas of the country, really didn't get crop out until even after the winter. Um, are there any warning signs, John, where we we might run into uh, about a precipitation or, or anything else that might slow down the progress to harvest? Or are you cautiously optimistic that uh, that if we've gotten started early, we uh, we might actually be able to wrap it up early as well? Yeah, I, I would be optimistic. I, I think if if everything looks good, if the fields are looking good right now, then um, you're you're almost home free. <laughs> Uh, I suppose that's always the case anyway, but yeah, there, there's not, um, nothing really in the cards. The only, you know, possible wild card is that it's been an extremely active tropical season. Um, hurricane season, it's, it's as active as anything in history, um, thus far and, and predicted to continue to be so. So that's, you know, more of an issue in some places than others, um, 
but you get storms out of the Gulf, they can, they can bring some heavy rain up through the Mississippi Valley. You can, uh, anyone on the East Coast is, is obviously always keeping an eye on that in September and October. But, you know, even Iowa and, and all the way up the Mississippi River earlier this, uh, I think in July, had a, it was one of the first times they'd ever had a, a tropical storm or, or remnants of one come through. So, you know, it's 2020, anything can happen, and you just... <laughs> Keep a, a nervous eye on the tropics, uh, <laughs> even if you're 500 miles inland this year. You know, we're, we're all going after 2020, like the day we flip the calendar for 2021, all this stuff's just going to reconcile itself. It might. I don't know if we're giving 2020 a bad rap or if, uh, if we're just in a tough run here, but it does feel like anything yeah. can happen. And it, it's important to ground ourselves more in, you know, what what are the, the norms? And, and we talked about this at planting of... Hey, are are we seeing planting timeframes moving up, moving back? Are they consistent with where they've been historically? I'll, I'll ask you the same thing, John. If we if we throw out some of these outlier years that we've had, like this year being a little bit early, last year being a lot late. If you look at the last decade or so, you know, are, are there any trends amongst harvest that say, hey, you know, we're we're getting into harvest a little bit earlier, or it's happening later? Um, anything that jumps out to you in terms of of how the the normal harvest typically is going? Well, I don't think there's been too much change, um, especially in a relatively short period, like 10 years. Um, yeah, if anything, it would be a little bit earlier because there has been um, a trend toward earlier planting. Um, so, I, you know, if you're a farmer, you can either plant earlier and harvest earlier. You can uh, try to go with a... Uh, a seed that's a higher relative maturity um, and, and try to benefit off of that too, which I think is probably happening a bit more um, than just um, harvesting early. Although, you know, it's still a valid concern to worry about an early frost in some places. Um, but climatologically, um, or at least as far as the climate trends, there hasn't been as much of a trend in the fall as there has been in the spring toward earlier um, planting dates, earlier um, onset of spring. So, you know, September and October haven't really exhibited very much change, especially in the last 10 years over most of this country. A lot of the, these extreme events that we're, we talk about, whether it's the derecho or, or uh, hurricane recently, um, these tend to impact pretty small areas, um, at least the worst of it does. And, you know, it's it gets amplified these days by the media and, and so much reporting on it. And in the end, you know, you, you'll, you probably never, if you were part of that duration, like you, you probably never experienced anything like that in your life and you might not ever again. It's just, it's not like it's a trend in, in, um, in the local weather is, is getting more of these events. It's just, uh, it was just kind of the luck of, of how things worked out. Overall, this growing season has, has been overall better than the last few, I, I think. So if you're looking at it in that way, it's it's kind of encouraging. Well, John, it's 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 interesting to me that you describe 10 years as a relatively short amount of time. I got to tell you, from my perspective, 10 years ago, I didn't have any kids. I slept a lot more and had a lot more free time. So 10 years feels like a lifetime from my perspective. But yeah. I can understand where in the weather world, you probably want to look at a little bit more data than that to uh, to understand what those trends look like. 
Yeah, I guess I didn't realize how much I compartmentalized my personal life from, you know, looking at climate data. So, <laughs> you know, climate, 10 years is always a very short amount of time. You know, it, it, it took 30 years to really understand the weather trends. It took less than 10 years for me to have every single song from Moana and Frozen and can be recited on demand. So a lot can change in 10 years. <laughs> that is true. Well, John, we, we've, uh, we've got a new segment that we'd like to introduce for, for Weatherman John here. And, you know, you've, you've got many advanced degrees. You're, you're one of the foremost experts on the climate in the entire Bayer Corporation. But now it's time to play a little game. So, John, it's time to play the Name That Cloud game. Are you ready? Are you, uh, are you prepared to be the first contestant on this show? Just remember, your entire credibility is on the line. Well, I hope that's not true. Here we go. <laughs> cloud number one. Name that cloud, Weatherman John. Oh, it's some type of cumulus. It uh, could be probably not big enough to be cumulonimbus. Um, but, yeah, I'll just say some sort of cumuliform, you know, low, low... Yeah, cumulus. There we go. We're not I'm, getting. I'm pretty too. sure. I'm pretty sure John's going to dominate this game. We <laughs> we were pretty basic in just calling it a cumulus cloud. You were over here throwing out additional technical terms on top of that. So let's let's up the game a little bit and make it a little bit more challenging. What do we have here? Well, they call those uh, mare's tail, I, I think, but uh, just as the layperson's term. But those are a type of cirrostratus. High altitude. He's two for two, folks. His credibility is still intact as Weatherman John. Cloud number three. Ooh, that's uh, that's that looks like part of a uh, a gust front. Oh, this is a good one. There are a lot of ones associated specific to severe weather that I'm not. I should know this though. A shelf cloud will go with. See, you just you gotta trust your gut. There it is, the shelf cloud. He's three for three, folks. Batting a thousand. Number four. This is, I mean, this is the Cirrostratus. The other one was just Cirrus. This is, I'm going to say Cirrostratia. Listen, listen, I, I, I mean, we, we can't even stump you. You say it's from 30 years ago and you've got this thing on lockdown. There's yeah. one last cloud that you've got to identify here to go perfect for the round, Weatherman John. Let's see if you can do it. Those are Mammatus clouds formed from uh, descending pockets of air. So it's basically like uh, you're looking at the the uh, upper side of a normal cloud, whether you got your pockets of air rising, but it's coming on the backside of a strong thunderstorm. It's a beautiful cloud. Delivered with absolute confidence here as we, as we yeah. get later in the round. <laughs> All right, are, are you ready for the bonus round? Yeah, of course. Name that cloud. Hmm. It's a very rare cloud, only seen in, uh, in very cold climates. In very cold climates? Well, hmm. It looks like you're looking down at the, uh, at the Earth from above. I don't know, Rick. It looks, looks like, a, like some sort of a steam uh, cloud. I don't know. Actually, the, the steam isn't far off. What you're actually looking at right there is a snow monkey. <laughs> okay. So you're looking at the top of uh, the snow monkey's uh, snowy head. It looks like clouds. It's in the neighborhood. I'm actually impressed that you threw steam out there as though there was steam coming off of the <laughs> snow monkey's head. 
I, I, I can't say that I was too close to the, the snow monkey. I'm going to give you credit for it. Hey, look at it this way. You, you did your professors from college proud. Five for five on Name That Cloud. Weatherman John earns his keep. Well done, sir. Thank you. <laughs> well, Weatherman John, it's always a pleasure to have you. Don't go far because as soon as we get out of harvest, we're going to be talking to you again about some of the conditions that we experienced this winter and how those might impact a lot of our listeners as they're, uh, as they're starting to make preparations uh, for the 2021 planting season. So, John, thanks again for taking the time to join us around the farm. It's always a pleasure, Rick. Well, as we wrap up today's episode, I want to thank all of our listeners for downloading the podcast and listening in. We appreciate you spending time with us around the farm. And if you have any support needs as you move into harvest this fall, never hesitate to reach out to the climate support team. You can get them by phone at 888-924-7475 or via email at support at climate.com. And if you'd like to learn more about how you can use FieldView to stay connected in these challenging times, Visit us at climate.com slash stay connected to see lots of great video and content about how you can use FieldView to stay connected through these challenging times. Hey, as always, it's been a blast and we'll see you around the farm.